0: Hello and welcome in to Pacific Postups. I'm joined by a very special guest and my usual co-host, Nick Boylan. How are you today, Nick?
1: Yeah, good man. Uh, it should be a fun episode because as you said, we do have a special guest tonight, uh, which means he's going to get a bit of an intro. Uh, he's a man with longer hair than Nick Claxton's <laughs> defensive wingspan, the biggest Joe Harris stand the world has ever and will ever know. He's a podcast analyst and writer for both Nets Republic and our own OTG basketball, co hosting pods like the Brooklyn Buzz, Remember the Office, and JBT. He's also Nets World Personified, spreading the love the Brooklyn way, right here in Australia. And yes, that means there are three Aussies on one podcast. We're taking over. Deal with it. We welcome Jack Manwell. How you going, bud? Holy crap, Nick. I've never had that good
2: of an intro. My mum doesn't gas me up that much. I need to get the set sound by and play it as my ringtone, my morning alarm tone, because I need to wake up with that sort of shit. Lads, it's good to hear two Aussie accents for once on a podcast on the OTG network. It's uh, too long.
0: Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Glad to have you, mate. Um, as uh, as we mentioned, as Nick mentioned, you're obviously an expert on all things uh, Brooklyn, and we're going to certainly touch on that as we go through the podcast. Just uh, getting underway with some more Pacific-based news. Um, the Lakers have picked up Ben McLemore. What do you make of that one, boys? It's a,
1: it's a pretty interesting one. I mean, like we, uh, Lou, I know you, you and I talked about the Lakers trying to get potentially another shooter on this team, the, the team that's really struggled in that uh, department through the season. Uh, last year on the Rockets, he really sort of revitalized his career as someone, you know, mm-hmm. who another example of a, a bad lottery pick gone wrong uh, in Sacramento, was borderline out of the league, and, you know, is his career done? But no, he, he came in, was a really useful option, had uh, around 10 points per game on 40% shooting from downtown, uh, while those numbers have gone back down to earth a little bit on, uh, you know, a, a struggling Rockets team, he's only shooting thirty-three percent. One thing that Mclemore can do is shoot, and you know, it, it, as I said, this is a roster bereft of uh, really high-quality marksman from deep. So I, I really like the signing, to be honest. Come on,
2: guys. How much help does LeBron need? Andre Drummond, Ben McElmore? No, nah, in all honesty, look, it's, it's no Blake Griffin and Lamarcus Aldridge, but I actually do think that this ben, ben McElmore signing can add something to the Lakers. I think that, you know, with KCP's lower numbers, you guys have touched on that quite a bit, and the lack of three-point shooting, as you alluded to, Nick. I think Ben McElmore is a good add. If he can just, you know, keep the same role as he had under... James Harden, Mike D'Antoni, and that Houston system, that I think it just gives the, the Lakers another body, another perimeter threat, which they've kind of lacked you know, with the loss of Danny Green as well. I wouldn't have minded him on the Brooklyn Nets, but there's only so many buyout guys that the Brooklyn Nets are allowed to get, it seems, uh, according to NBA Twitter. But in all honesty, I think Malcolm Moore can have a bit of an impact uh, on the Los Angeles Lakers.
0: Yeah, I, I quite like it. Um, I think, you know, he's the kind of guy, if you can play well off Harden, you could probably play pretty well off LeBron as well. Uh, and just another kind of, I use the, th- the phrase three and D loosely like everyone does, uh, but another kind of three and D guy. Um, I think if all he's got to do is shoot spot up threes and, uh, and apply some effort on the defensive end. And, uh, it was pretty, you know, relatively low risky if the Lakers, if, uh, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. So, um, I think a nice fringe move there, uh, And more importantly, another player for them that isn't playing for the Clippers or the Nets or all those other contenders looking to make those fringe signings.
2: Lou, Nick, and before we move on, uh, asking you guys, Markeith Morris is obviously a a massive candidate uh, by our candidate last season and made a huge impact for the Lakers. You know, really impacting them on quarters and in playoff games for for them. Do you think that he can provide a similar impact to what uh, Keith did for the Lakers last year?
1: I'm not 100% sure if he's going to, play as much down the stretch as Keith did. I think what Morris does for that lineup in allowing Davis to play at the five, if they need to, um, he can also play as a small ball five himself. I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure how many, how much more minutes that Macklemore is going to get over someone like an Alex Caruso or a Taylor Horton Tucker uh, going down the stretch. But you know, I, I don't think it's out of um, out of the imagination that he's going to get, you know, potentially between 12 and 16 minutes, really, a night. Yeah. I mean, that might change in the playoffs, but LeBron likes having shooters around him. Um, he automatically becomes probably the best three-point shooter on that team, at least in, in, in a pure shooting sense. So I, I, it wouldn't be out of the ordinary if KCP's shooting struggles really plummet in the playoffs that McLemore could get a look
0: late in games. Yeah, I don't think he's uh I don't think he's quite a Marquise Morris. I think a really nice piece of KCP insurance. And at this point, I think the Lakers are just uh looking for any healthy bodies they can actually throw out there to minimize yeah. the slide uh over the next couple of weeks until they can get their two star players fit.
2: Yeah, it makes sense.
0: So uh other than that, uh it's been a, a fairly quiet kind of week in the Pacific Division. Uh, Demarcus Cousins has now played a game for the Clippers. Uh, what did you? Uh, what did you make of that, boys?
1: I think well, they, they they did need another body. I mean, that was always going to be uh, sort of the thing if they wanted another guy to sort of play. Um, at, at that at that center spot, um, that debut he had, I think like, it was it was pretty solid. I mean, he he shown him flashes for Houston um, at, at various stages, particularly at the start of the season. Showed a little bit, um, but I mean, it's it's been kind of hard to evaluate anything that's been going on in Houston with how bad they have been going. But you know, just he only played seven minutes, so not exactly the biggest sample test in the world. But you know, had seven points, had had four boards, a couple of dimes, and. He's, he's, a, he's another big body um, that they're going to need to throw out there. Like Lou and I, uh, we, we talked about this last week when this was on the cards that, you know, it's another six fouls that you're going to throw out at, against someone like a Nikola Jokic or an Anthony Davis, um, a, a Joel Embiid if they, if they manage to get to the finals and, and Philly beat Brooklyn in the conference finals. Sorry, Jack. Uh, <laughs> but, but if that happens, I mean, like, you do need extra bodies to throw out there, and Boogie is a big dude. And He he gives you enough on the offensive end where uh, shooting splits have been quite shocking a lot this year for Houston. But playing in this lineup, if he's playing off Kawhi and PG and these sort of guys... I don't think it's the worst thing um, to have him as a third body, just to, to give you a different look than Ibaka and Zubas. Yeah, what I kind of like
2: is the almost the storyline of of Demarcus Cousins and Isaiah Thomas, both unlucky sort of superstars in terms of you know getting their payday, getting their due, getting their credit along, in the, along this league, and just being incredibly unlucky. Both having a, a bit of finally some good luck, you know, in their respective situations, New Orleans, and obviously uh, in Clipperland. Lou, I wanted to ask you, do you think he gets another 10-day? Do you think he gets that contract converted? I know there's a lot of dudes. I know, you know I, I've sort of harped about uh, Alizé Johnson, a guy on a 10-day in Brooklyn, and how much I desire him to get an NBA-level contract. Do you think DeMarcus could get an NBA-level contract or a 2A, whatever it is that the Clippers might have uh, on their roster?
0: I think if he uh, if he plays the way he played in his debut, then certainly. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is obviously... Sergio Barker is still not playing and they need bodies. Yeah. Um, we know Paul George is nursing that toe injury. Uh, Kawhi is certainly not afraid of load management. So, you know, any live bodies they can throw out there, particularly someone that can kind of keep that bench offense afloat. Now they've lost Lou Williams, um, someone that you just dump the ball down to for a couple of possessions. I, I think he does actually fit on that Clippers team. There's not too many teams left in the NBA that DeMarcus fits on, to be honest with you, but... Given their situation right now, um, I can absolutely see them keeping Demarcus around. What do you think on that one, Nick?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. It, it probably helps that he's got a you know a, someone who he's played with um, a little bit um, over the years, um, you know, in Sacramento, in New Orleans, and for the Lakers as well, um, in Rajon Rondo on the roster. So you know, Rondo's come out and said that you know he's still think he's got a lot left in the tank um, and he's able to contribute something to this team. So having someone who's very much an on-court and locker room leader um, after the deadline move um, for this Clippers team, which is, you know, a team kind of bereft of that kind of leadership. I think that the front office should be listening to what Rondo saying about uh, Boogie. And yeah, as someone who else I can throw out there, um, I, I'm not sure how much uh, contribution he'll have towards a, you know, a deep playoff run, hopefully for the Clippers. Um, but Yeah, I I think he's a handy one on the roster.
0: Now, we're going to make the most of having you on the podcast here, Jack. Um, There are many teams in the Pacific Division that could be considered contenders. Uh, And we know your Brooklyn Nets are certainly the favourite at this point to come out of the East. And I have no doubt that your belief in them to do so is unwavering. Um, When you look to the Western Conference, uh, and specifically the Pacific Division, Tell me what it is about the Sacramento Kings, you
2: feel. <laughs> Harrison Barnes is playing some incredible basketball. No, look, in all honesty, guys, I think that the the Pacific Division has three bona fide contenders. And I did a little bit of a list in preparation for the pot and, and I, I came up with like eight teams. And I mentioned these teams on the outlet the other day with uh, Harrison and, and my guy OTG, Nick. But in all honesty, I think that there are three genuine Teams in in the Western Conference, one that won tonight against the the uh, the league leading Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns, as well as obviously you've got the Lakers and you've got the Clippers. All those teams could give a lot of lot of threat uh, to my Brooklyn Nets.
0: So uh, I guess we should uh, we should work in the way out of those three from least threatening to most threatening. Uh, Jack, who's your number three seed to knock off the Brooklyn Nets in the NBA Finals.
2: Out of those three teams, it is the Phoenix Suns, Lou. Uh, Just because of what I've sort of been seeing with them, I think Chris Paul's importance is still so immense for that team. I think the inexperience of a, of a Devon Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Michael Bridges, these sort of dudes—they haven't been there on the big stage just yet. And some of that can be a good thing because you got that exuberance, you got that youthful exuberance. Doesn't necessarily work so well in some other sports. So to the North Melbourne Kangaroos and, and Nick Bourne and all the fans out there, you're throwing shade my way, mate. I'll throw shade back. Let's do it. Why not? But in all honesty, I, I just think that the Suns. That while I believe in them right now in their regular season form. They aren't a Lakers. They aren't a Clippers. They aren't, you know, playoff ready in the sense of, you know, Kawhi Leonard's got a finalist MVP. LeBron James has a million Finals MVPs. And those two teams have the superstar power that I just believe in. It's a bit of a, a reductive sort of summation, but it's just what I fall back to. You
1: know, I, I think Jack's bang on. It's just there's a lot of unknown with this Phoenix team. I mean, we, we, we have seen some really incredible flashes of great basketball coming in there to stabilize things and really transform their culture into a winning one, which hasn't, it hasn't been for a while. Um, So even in this, you know, um, Jack talks about the, the win over the jazz today in that one game, there still seem to be some of the problems that have plagued them um, against really good teams and also not so good teams. Sometimes they, they can burn out to a big lead in the game, but they can, just as easily drop that lead very, very quickly as we saw uh, in that game against Brooklyn um, when, when things sort of. London, Brooklyn, Brooklyn and that was
2: a fully healthy team as well, Nick. And that was Brooklyn <laughs> yeah. without Kevin Durant, without Nicholas Claxton. Obviously, I mentioned Nicholas Claxton above Kyrie Irving. But in all honesty, I was incredibly surprised about just that performance overall because I was just like, look, this Phoenix Suns team at home, they're, they're one of the form teams of the league at that point in time, and they still are. They're probably, you know, other than the Brooklyn Nets, one, one of the top-ranked teams in terms of how they've gone since the post-All-Star break. But James Harden was just able to will the team in, in a way that few players actually can. And, and, Lou, I guess I'll ask you, what are your reservations about this Phoenix Suns team once the games do start to matter come the playoffs?
0: Uh, well, there's, I, I guess this kind of goes into two topics. Uh, the first is, as specifically as they relate to Brooklyn, um, I think they just have a James Harden issue, quite frankly, um, because... You know, CP, we know that when it matters, he's going to be able to bring it on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and he'll certainly be willing to pester Kyrie. Um, look, no one can guard Kevin Durant, but if anyone's going to give it a go, Mikhail Bridges would uh, would almost be long enough to do a good job of it. Um, but there's no one on that team that's a natural fit to guard Harden. And he's torched him once this year. I don't think he'd hesitate to do it again. Um, but before they even get to that point, I-, I guess the concern is, and we did see it down the stretch of today's game, Um if the best look that they're going to get uh, as games get close is Devin Booker isoing, um, then I mean Devin Booker's is a fantastic scorer, but at the end of the day, I didn't like the stagnant look. Uh, they've got didn't a couple need a three either ridiculous. Um, and uh, so I think that's an issue. And the second is, uh, you know, DeAndre Ayton is young. He's been exposed at the end of the games a couple of times this year. He actually played really well down the stretch today, but uh, you know teams bring him into ball screens. Uh, and, you know, rely on his uh, youthful exuberance and, and sometimes foul-prone uh, attack at the end of games. Uh, and I, I think maybe he might not just be ready for the bright lights. And that's
2: what we did in, in that game and just piggybacking off that, Lou. We truly exposed the Andre Ayton by playing five out with Jeff Green at the five. And he just couldn't guard in space. You know, he's just a... And it's not to say that he can't because he has all the physical tools to do so. You know, he's not Anthony Davis. He's not Nicholas Claxton. even. Nicholas Claxton is one of the best dudes at guarding in space on the perimeter. But he just, we just attacked, attacked, attacked relentlessly. You know, five out with James Harden, Tyler Johnson, Joe Harris, you know, Jeff Green, uh, and and whoever else we sort of threw out there as that sort of fifth man. Um, it was just, it was easy. It was easy, slim pickings, and that's why I thought that you know the matchup today with Rudy Gobert. I thought that he did take some steps forward. But against the, the, the likes of, you know, the Los Angeles Clippers, a team that can play five out with Marcus Morris at the five, and also a team like the Los Angeles Lakers with Anthony Davis at the five, you know, one of the most versatile big men that we've seen in, in the modern game, I just think that that's a, a massive weak point that you can attack. And when it is a rim protector and it is your, your five, you know, sort of helming things defensively, um, it is a bit of a big blemish on their, you know, pretty fl- otherwise flawless sort of resume.
1: 100%. And it's not like they've got a wide variety of guys that they can throw out there at the five to, to sort of nullify what Brooklyn can do uh, to Phoenix. You know, we, um, Lou and I have talked about sort of their need to bring in another big guy, whether, you know, a buyout candidate was going to rock up. I mean, Zaria Saric at the five has had had some pretty good results, um, particularly before the All-Star break, I think. Um, but yeah, it, it, it'd be really interesting to see whether they're going to actually close a lineup with Saric in the playoffs. Um, I'm not sure if that's something that Phoenix are going to look at doing and they're going to want Aiden out there to be an additional scoring threat, um, whether that's, you know, in the post or in the pick and roll. So, yeah, it, it is definitely a weakness uh, for Phoenix. And, yeah, that additional wing defender, Well, Tory Craig can do a little bit of that, that's why they brought him in, um, obviously closed um, the game today. Uh, but, yeah, it's... It, it's going to happen to a lot uh, for a lot of teams, but at the end of the day, Brooklyn, when they're healthy, there's just too many weapons for this Phoenix team.
2: I guess I'll, I'll ask before we do move on, I guess to some other teams, lads, I want to ask of you, where is it that the Phoenix Suns could possibly exploit the Brooklyn Nets? Obviously the Brooklyn Nets have, you know, a a, a, nigh on flawless with the way that they've been playing and, you know, I, I mentioned this stat pretty heavily on, on any podcast. I get to go on 176 minutes together for the Scary Hours Big 3. You know, th- it hasn't even begun the, the best version of this Brooklyn Nets team. But I guess I'll start with you, Lou. Where is it that the Phoenix Suns can attack the Brooklyn Nets and other teams? Where do their strengths
1: lie?
0: Um, and look, I'm going to preface this by, by saying that I, uh, I certainly think the Nets are the favorites to come out of the East. And they're a fantastic basketball team. Jacker, but there there is a second side to the basketball, um, <laughs> and uh, it is worth keeping in mind that two out of the three, uh, you know, all stars that the Brooklyn Nets have are not exactly known for being defensive-minded players. Now, Kyrie Irving people do forget that in some of those runs with LeBron, he was able to turn it on defensively and stretches. And he has been doing
2: it right now, Lou. I I just, I I obviously got to stand up for my dudes before you you, you shit on them too much. But in all honesty, Kyrie Irving, especially when he's helming the team solo, you know, in the absence of James Harden and Kevin Durant, the leadership that he's shown on both sides of the floor is almost surprising. And I've said this on The Buzz with Nick quite a bit, and he's echoed my sentiments. The fact that at the start of the season, the, the start of his Brooklyn Nets tenure, he was that weak point. It was him and DeAndre. Get them in the pick and roll, and you're going to get something out of it if you're an opposing offense. It's as simple as that. But his activity and his willingness to just fight through screens a little bit more, you know, get his hands active. He's a really quick dude and really pesky when he wants to be. I think it's just about showing that for a consistent basis. And when he does choose to show it, he can't be you know, at least an average defender, but I don't discount the fact that on the majority of days, he certainly isn't that.
1: Yeah, I, I think so, the thing that sort of going back to um, Lou's comments about Kyrie's defensive performances in the finals against Golden State, I think that's sometimes why it's been more frustrating to see because you've seen the good of what yeah. Kyrie can do on the yeah. defensive end. And then you see like lapses where, as you said, Jack, but he's got the physical tools, the quickness and the the basketball IQ to understand like how to guard perimeter players. A lot of it just comes down to an engagement thing uh, like his ex teammate LeBron James. So whether Kyrie is able to do that on a consistent enough basis in the playoffs, obviously we're seeing it a, a, a lot more this season in Brooklyn. And I think is definitely like a mindset change for Irving, which is a, a really good thing for Nets fans that, you know, someone who was considered, you know, the weak point on a team to just go and target and target all day long. is something that is, Definitely evened up a little bit, but I, I, I'm not. That doesn't mean I'm trusting Curry Irving to guard Devin Booker for an entire game.
0: True. I, I do have a question for you, Jack. I guess before I could really drill in on on answering your uh, original question, is who is kind of the closing five in your mind uh, against maybe a team like the Suns in the playoffs? Look uh, for the- Look,
2: it's a hard one to to totally pin down, Lou, because we haven't necessarily seen what probably is going to be that you know fit closing five. You know, your guarantees are your scary hours, big three. You got Kai, you got Jane, and and you got KD. And I would say Joe Harris deserves to be out there too. And it's not just because of my exceptional Joe Harris stand-up and my subjective bias in that regard. I just think that he has shown enough defensively this season to be, you know what. He deserves to be out there. He fights, he rebounds, he's scrappy. He does all the little things that a lot of other guys you wish would do who had that, you know, that that prowess and the athletic is that Joe doesn't have. So that fifth guy, I think, is it can be a number of dudes. You know, against the Phoenix Suns, I would probably have Jeff Green because the Nets have had success You know, just recently w- with James Harden and the game that we discussed a little bit earlier. And the ability to go five out is just going to exploit the shit out of a guy like DeAndre Ayton who is, I think, it's going to improve in that regard. And I think that Monty Williams will hopefully experiment in a way where it's just like, let's throw him. Let's make him a bit more active on switches. Let's do these sort of things that we're going to have to do come the postseason against some of these better teams. So for me, it's Jeff Green. But you can also throw Nicholas Claxton out there for certain boys if you're wanting really good defense because that dude can guard anyone. If he's got Devin Booker, if he's got Chris Paul, it's probably, you know, it, I would prefer him almost on some of those dudes than the likes of Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, to be honest, because his athletic prowess and his low center of gravity and his, his quickness, lateral quickness, uh, is just incredible. And he's has got some of the best in the league when he switched on to them. And they keep doing it to him, uh, including the you know the likes of Devin Booker in games past as well. So I think that it, it's those five. And, you know, LaMarcus, you can maybe throw out there if you want a, a bit of offense. And the way that he defended today against Zion Williamson, the New Orleans and certainly showed me something that I didn't expect to see. But the Nets have options. There's probably four guaranteed dudes that I alluded to. But that fifth one, uh, it's good to have the options, I will say.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I think Phoenix would, uh, would kill for a guy like Jeff Green. Uh, obviously, they'd love to have a guy like Nick Claxton as well. But just to have that kind of slightly smaller, switchier spacing five that they could go to. Um, you know, Dario Saric has certainly had some nice minutes off the bench this year. Um, and his, the on-off numbers look really good with that. But at the end of the day, you know, you're not running the offense through Dario Saric down the stretch, um, and he's you know, not exactly the guy you want being brought into a, a defensive switch against a Harden or a KD, um, if that's what happens. So uh, I think someone like the Suns would kill for someone like Jeff Green or Nick Claxton, um, and that's probably the advantage I would see that Brooklyn would have over them is just there's so much lineup versatility. If, if only uh, Jay Crowder was uh, a
1: few inches taller, he'd be perfect in that small ball five.
0: Uh, look, Jay Crowder's got the uh, the attitude yeah. of someone that's more than two inches taller, um, and uh, I'm sure you'd see plenty of hard fouls uh, if those if they were to make it to, through to the NBA finals. If Jay Crowder's getting minutes, but. Yeah, I just think the Phoenix Suns are a little undermanned against the Brooklyn Nets um, if that's the matchup. In terms
2: saying. of, I guess you're sort of talking about some of their strengths, Lou, in terms of exploring the Brooklyn Nets on the defensive end, are there individual players in particular? Is it Devin Book and his incredible isolation skills? Is it, is it Chris Paul in the mid-range? Is it Mikhail Bridges and his ability to just do things left, right and centre? Is it Jay Crowder's three-point shooting? Is it the physicality of DeAndre Ayton in the post or is it a combination of all those things?
0: So I think it depends on the lineup Brooklyn's putting out there, and if Brooklyn goes small, Aiton can hurt him on the boards. Um, I mean, he's you know he he's actually quite an underrated, uh, underrated rebounder. He's quite the physical specimen. Um, but I think the the only way that you know it, the Phoenix Suns are really going to be able to attack the Brooklyn uh, the Brooklyn team is if Brooklyn kind of switch everything and allow them to you know iso Devin Booker on James Harden. Obviously, not in the post. We all know James Harden's a fantastic post defender. Um, But, uh, yeah, bringing uh, bringing those guys into switches, um, if they do play, you know, someone like DeAndre Jordan or Blake Griffin, uh, you know, Chris Paul will certainly be happy to attack any drop, pick and roll coverage you throw at him. But those buckets certainly aren't going to come easy. I think it's going to take a lot of individual brilliance from guys like Chris Paul and Devin Booker um, and whether they can do that better than Brooklyn can four games out of seven. I'd be seriously unsure. What do you make of that, Nick?
1: Yeah, that last point I think is going to be a a large problem for a lot of teams against Brooklyn is that you've got to be better than them for, you know, not just one game. It's You've got to be able to get a seven-game series going. And, yeah, I'm I'm not 100% sure if, you know, sort of Booker and Paul are going to average, you know, between 30 and 35 a game because that's kind of – what they would need to do in a final scenario against the Nets. As much as, you know, we talk about Aiton and Bridges uh, coming to the party and you're not really relying on either of them for big scoring outputs. If They can have the occasional good night. Bridges can go up from three. Cam Johnson can have a big night from three as well. Um, but it's going to come down to the backcourt and whether they can score enough. And I'm just not 100% sure that they can do it for that many games um, in a row to get a series win against the Nets.
0: So, uh, so I guess moving now to uh, Staples Center, uh, Jack. Who's the number two contender that the Brooklyn Nets would fear coming out of the Pacific Division? Look, I, I think
2: it's it's the Clippers, loop. I, I, we've seen some some pretty fun matchups already this season with the the Los Angeles Clippers. And I think that they would provide a a pretty hefty test for what Brooklyn do. You know, you've got Kawhi Leonard, you've got Paul George. Those two are absolutely incredible. Uh, And you've also got the the likes of Avika Zubach, who I don't think is getting enough credit. I know you guys show him a lot of love on this pod. But I think Avika Zubach is is playing some incredible basketball as well. And I do like Ty Lue as a coach. I think that his ability in the postseason is... Is where I think he's probably going to really show and strut his stuff, you know, more so than what we've probably seen in this regular season. But one thing I do think that the Los Angeles Clippers don't do that could exploit the Brooklyn Nets is they they don't attack the rim enough. And that's where, you know, and, and it sort of really make it a, a physical sort of game because that's where you can get the the nets a little bit. You know, the Phoenix Suns you sort of allude to with DeAndre Ayton and, and some of these guys are really showing a bit of purpose and aggression. The Clippers don't take enough free throws. And Los- and Paul George might blame the rest for not getting the calls or whatever. But my dude, you got to be the one taking them rather than and taking the mid-rangers from 18 feet or whatever. So ultimately, I think that the Clippers, you have Kawhi Leonard and you have him playing at an MVP level like he has been this season. And when it comes postseason, we know him and him. It's him, Kevin Durant, LeBron James. They're the three postseason performers in modern history that you look to and you have the most confidence in. So uh, you can't help but show a a lot of love to Los Angeles Clippers because you're Kawhi Leonard and it's as simple as that.
1: I think the interesting part um, for the Clippers now going, if you know, the final series does eventuate if they even get through and don't drop another 3-1 lead. Um, <laughs> that uh, If they get through, uh, the one thing I'm really interested about is how Rondo is going to fit into things going down the stretch if he's closing uh, games with the big two um, in Clipperland, land. I think he should be. Um, I would much rather him on the court to finish a game than Pat Bev or Reggie Jackson. And whether he's going to be able to orchestrate Enough offense that gives them different looks against any team, really. Better, particularly against the Nets, um, that it, it's not just falling in love again with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard isolation jump shots. That they're just it's just so damn predictable. And against other teams, they can sort of get away with it. But Brooklyn, while they don't have a wealth of great perimeter defenders. I'd be pretty okay if, you know, if Brooklyn is sort of closing things, um, you know, with a guy like Bruce Brown guarding Paul George and Kevin Durant playing on Kawhi. Those those are guys who I would trust to, to keep a hold of those guys, particularly uh, Paul George, as he's shown in the playoffs, uh, couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat. So... Um, <laughs> It's going to be, yeah. I think that's probably. I'll throw Jeff thing. Green
2: in there as well, Nick. I think he'd be a, a pretty capable performer as well. And what he's done um, in closing possessions against the Clippers and, and a lot of other teams as well, um, he's been immensely important in his individual defense.
1: Yeah. It, 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 having those, like, sort of bigger guys, um, I think is where the Nets can defend pretty well rather than against maybe sort of a smaller guard where, you know, they might, you know, expose Kyrie a little bit more or harden a little bit more. Having those wings for a little bit bigger, the, the Nets have some guys I think who can stand up um, with, with those sort of players. So then it sort of comes down to, you know, you're backing Luke Kennard, Rejon Rondo or Zubats to sort of get you some points late that's going to be, I think, the really interesting part for the Clippers. But, Lou, what, what, what other threats do you think the Clippers bring outside of, you know, those two uh, all-star players?
0: Well, firstly, uh, there's a couple of interesting wrinkles, I think, if we see the series. One, oh, revenge, oh, series. Two, oh, oh, yes. revenge series. Two, Revenge series. But outside of, uh, of role players looking to uh, take a piece of the Clippers' organisation, Um, I think, I I guess that would really just be mano-a-mano between, uh, you know, two of the best, like you said, two of the best playoff closers this generation's seen. Um, KD and Kawhi probably guarding each other as well uh, for stretches, which would certainly be interesting. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to what Paul George brings. I I trust what Kawhi will bring. Um, I think he'll be able to, you know, give KD every bit of that uh, that ISO one-on-one battle, Um, but... If Paul George can't keep up with James Harden, the output that he's giving, and Kyrie Irving, the output he's giving, then Kawhi can't win this on his own. Um, This Clippers team doesn't have quite the supporting cast that Kawhi had uh, in Toronto. Uh, I would actually like to see them start Zubach if this happens, uh, if this is the series we see. Uh, I think that playing Sergio Barker and playing five out and going small actually gives the Nets the advantage because I think no one plays better going small than the Nets. Um so I would actually I'd actually like to see them uh play Zubac, uh, you know, run a few pick and rolls, try to punish them on the boards. Um, and yes, there might be some matchups. also Zubac is a really good rim protector. Uh yes, there might be some matchups and some switches you don't like late like the shot clock, you have to live with that. Uh but I think if they if they kind of go to a barker uh or even Morris at the five, uh, you know, to start games, obviously to close games, that's a different look. Um, then I think they're playing right into uh, to the Nets' hands there, as far as going small, because the Nets have the best. I wanted to life.
2: to touch on a point that Nick made, and I guess I'll ask you, Lou, because Nick sort of provided his thoughts. At Rondo and Beverly, you know, Nick sort of provided what, what he who he thinks should sort of be out there uh, in the important moments. Patrick Beverly. Look, there's plenty of thoughts that I have on, on Pat Bev, but the, the dude provides a level of energy that you know a lot of teams do love, and you know he's an all defensive player. You know on his resume, you know he's he's got Kevin Durant not so successfully in seasons past. Maybe he would be the perfect matchup for a James Harden and or a Kyrie Irving, you know, because Rajon Rondo, while he showed some some nice defensive prowess and effort on that end of the floor. In Laker land, I think it was more the product of uh, an incredible system from Frank Vogel. What do you think? Do you think it's a, it's a given that you know Rajan Rondo is out there in, in crunch time and closing time, or is it an offense sort of defense sort of thing? What do you think?
0: So I guess my first thought is um, I think Ty Lue needs to keep Pat there the fuck away from Kevin Durant. <laughs> because the last time you picked him off, Durant put up one of the greatest first-round playoff games of all time. Um, absolutely annihilating the Clippers uh, in that, that fun a really series, series a few years ago, but oh, it was a good series. All, all jokes aside, um, I actually think if Rondo is healthy, I, I think he's more okay. than just a system defender. Uh, this might be some bias from from years gone by uh, when he actually was a good defender. Uh, look, I wouldn't want him really guarding anyone else but Kyrie. I think Harden would manhandle him. Um, my matchup, I guess, I would I would actually have Rondo closing. Um, and, uh, and I would go Rondo guarding Kyrie. I'd actually have Kawhi taking Harden instead of Durant because I think Kawhi's probably one of the few guys with the strength uh, to actually take uh, Harden and him fairly well. Um, and the fact that Kawhi's a little bit slower these days is probably not quite as much of an issue because Harden's not exactly a, a speed demon. That's not his strength. Um, and then have Paul George throw as much length as he can at Kevin Durant. Um, so I would close with Rondo, uh, but... If Rondo's three balls not going down, I don't think they'll hesitate to go away from really having a point guard at all down the stretch um, and just going with that yep. kind of five wings lineup um, they could run with uh, and letting Kawhi ISO for the last couple of minutes because that's what they're going to do regardless. Um you know, they don't need someone to set the table for them in the last two minutes. We know what that's going to look like. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting
2: doctor. one because uh, I still think that I can't help but shake this feeling that, you know, the Clippers are going to be there. There's going to – I don't know why I, I buy into them so much. I probably shouldn't. I should read the, the tea leaves, but – there's just something about, you know, a Kawhi Leonard-led team and you know it's going to be down to, you know, the supporting cast as you guys sort of alluded to there. But, you know, come the postseason, that's when the, it starts to heat up and we've seen a lot of these guys really do perform and you almost trust a with John Rondo more than a, a Paul George given what he's done in, in postseason performances in certain matchups. But, yeah, I think that the no doubt I still think that the Clippers are going to be a threat in the West and to the Brooklyn Nets if they are going to be on that big stage as well.
1: Probably an, ad- an added wrinkle that um, uh, that Lou mentioned if they're going to go without a point guard is how much are they going to trust Luke Kennard going down the stretch? Um, that's going to be a really interesting... If they want to go with someone like Kennard playing <laughs> late if they're trying to chase a bucket. Good, good, good. Going, so going. Um, who's been... Really heavily maligned this season, um, particularly at the start of it. Played himself out of the lineup, um, had injury problems, has come back just look much better um, and providing something. Um, So it'll be really interesting to see if Tyloo will go give Canard anything sort of like late in the fourth quarter, or they're going to completely take him off the court and go with someone like Rondo who could provide a little bit more stability at the point guard position. Canard's a solid playmaker. Obviously, Rondo has made his living off setting the table for others um, right throughout his career. So, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting one. There's so many different looks that this Clippers team can go with. It's, it's, it's just going to be interesting to see what they do.
2: Yeah, too bad he's not Joe Harris.
1: <laughs> if only he's a left-handed Joe Harris. No, not even the man. The man needs to get some better facial hair, and then we they can start having a conversation. Yeah, he can't pull off the headband either. Who can? Who, who
0: can? Except Claytons. <laughs> true, true. I'm. A, I'm just sitting here thinking to myself if this is the matchup we get, uh, and if you'd wound it back twelve months ago and told me that you'd see uh, Blake Griffin and Nick Batum uh, in the finals, I, I, other than falling off my seat and laughing, I don't know what else I really to Finals MVP. But that's okay. That's it. He wants to join Tony Parker and be the second no, French final. Or, or you can make him um, from Timothy
2: Lowell Cabaret. No, no, cut that from the record. I don't want to hear any Nets fans listening to this and they'll probably cut my credentials and not let me host the Brooklyn Buzz anymore. I didn't say that. You know, cut this out, Lou, Nick, whoever does the editing.
1: Who? No, that's fine. It's okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, there's going to be no uh, French yeah, connection. We're just going to put replace- <laughs> Yeah, if the Clipper, the Clippers could end a game, you know, like rebound Zubats, kick out Batum, corner three, bang, tie game. I mean, that's what I'm living for.
0: And there, there we go. I think on that note, we're happy to end this conversation um, and, uh, and move over to a team that no doubt would uh, put some fear into you, uh, Jack, providing their healthy the current and reigning champion Los Angeles. Look, it's what two names, Lou.
2: Up? You know, we can talk about Ben Macklemore. We can talk about, you know, Alex Caruso, the Caruso Bleacher Reports, the highest highlights favorite. And you throw in Taylor Horton Tucker's probably getting a bit too much love. Uh, then I would be liking as well, especially when there's not enough Nick Claxton and, and Joey Buckets highlights. But but in all honesty, it, it's LeBron James and it's Anthony Davis. I think Anthony Davis especially would give the the Nets a lot of trouble because who are you going to put on him? Is it going to be a Nicholas Claxton who, while he has put on a a bit of muscle since his rookie season, I think would get bullied by an Anthony Davis uh, for the majority of the matchup if he decides to really be that post- and show off that physicality, which sometimes he doesn't like doing. Uh, is it going to be a Jeff Green? I think Jeff Green is probably that best matchup again. It's it's funny to hear that the Brooklyn Nets rely so much on a 34-year-old Jeff Green, but he's been producing uh, at such a consistent level for the Brooklyn Nets that I, I have that utmost confidence in him. And I think also you can throw some sprinkle in some possessions of Kevin Oran and the length that he has and the defensive prowess that he does have as well. So, but and then obviously it's King James. You know, uh, there is no superlatives that I necessarily. I need to come up with uh, to sort of talk about the 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 reigning champ, the Finals MVP. You know, the accolades are plenty uh, for LeBron James, and what he would in terms of just the impact that he can have. And the there is no greater performer on the big stage than LeBron James in the modern era. And I, I would the, the part of me that just wants to see it so much is because I love the LeBron versus KD matchups. These are the two best players that probably you and I have seen in our lifetimes. You know, we saw a little bit of MJ when we were kids, but ultimately going LeBron versus KD, you know, part three uh, and KD sort of took the crown from him uh, in golden state. And then unfortunately got himself injured. um, And then, you know, what is it again? Is he going to want to reclaim it again from him? Is LeBron James going to allow him to do that? I think that's the most fascinating thing about it all. Then you've got Kyrie Irving going up against, you know, his former teammate. Uh, it, it's just, uh, and it's the one that I think we all want. And I think it's the the one that I, I want the most because, uh, you know, Kyrie said it himself, you know, we want those guys again. We want them fully fit and healthy. I know the Brooklyn Nets fans want it. I know ESPN and probably Adam Silver want it as well, boo. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I guess the the first question, uh, we obviously discussed who would guard Anthony Davis. Who would guard LeBron, do you think? KD post injury. Look, I think it's a,
2: in a switching scheme. The the responsibility individually has almost been lessened for a lot of the guys. If that makes any sense, Lou. So I, I think KD can still do it for you know a certain stretch of of possessions, and I think that he wants to. You know, I think that you know a pre you know hamstring injury um, before you know that game against Golden State he was showing incredible defensive prowess and he was our best defender before Nicholas Claxon was inserted to the lineup. So I certainly think that he's not going to shy away from that matchup at all. And I think also, you know, Jeff Green and and whoever else is out there isn't going to shy away from it either because, you know, he's he's certainly not the wash king, but I don't think that the Brooklyn Nets are going to shy away from that sort of matchup. I think that they're going to be motivated uh, and really wanting to relish uh, the opportunity to show LeBron James, who are really the, the kings of the NBA right now.
0: So, uh, I guess I'd like to pose a, an interesting question um, while I've got both of you here. If we're to get a Nets Lakers finals, rank the top four players in that series starting Ooh. from quarter one. All
2: right. So,
1: you're going to go first for that one.
2: Yeah. All right. Thanks for uh, throwing the curveball handball to me, uh, Nick. That's a, a nice little handball from you. Uh, okay. I'll The names that obviously spring to mind, I'm going to try and talk myself and think myself through this. The probably unluckiest guy out of this is probably Kyrie Irving, in, in all honesty. But you can make the argument for Kyrie because what he does in individual possessions and in postseason performances that you might have him ahead of a James Harden, in all honesty. I think you've got Anthony Davis. Uh, ultimately, it's I'll, I'll go Harden 4. I'll go Davis 3. I'll go KD 2. I'll go LeBron 1. But that is me uh, saying it in an objective basis. And again, strike those uh, comments from the record because if any Nets fans or Nets listeners hear that, I'm not going to be allowed to tweet out anything about my beloved Brooklyn Nets anymore. But I honestly do think that the difference between one and five, uh, you might as well throw a dice because all those guys are absolutely incredible and you can make the argument for any of them. Nick, now it's time for you to piggyback off what I've said.
1: Okay, so I would, uh, at the four spot, I would go Kyrie Irving. At the number three spot, I would go Anthony Davis. At the number two spot, I would go LeBron James. Oh, you will get it. one. Oh, my God.
2: Why did I not just say? Okay, uh, for those that are like are American listeners or international listeners, uh, my name is Nicholas Boylan. That's Jack Manuel who just made those comments. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, I uh, potentially is, is it some recency bias and KD hitting some of the best threes I've ever seen in the Golden State uniform, probably, um, but. He hit one in his face, Nick. He hit it literally I in know. LeBron James' it, face. and uh, it, it was it was, he, he, it was gorgeous. It's my
2: favorite shot of his, and I was talking about it with Nick on the Brooklyn Buzz today. You know, he was five from the field, you know, 17 points. He didn't miss a shot in his goddamn comeback. Uh, absolutely incredible performance from the Slim Reaper. But my favorite shot of his is when he's just got a defender closing out to him in his face, and he's just like, I don't care. I'm just going to shoot it yeah. over you. I don't care if you're LeBron James tonight. Today it was James Johnson. It's just, it's got to be so freaking deflated. If you're a defender, you're making the right close out. You're closing out hard. And then a dude who's just seven foot and with the purest jumper that I've ever seen just hits the dagger.
1: It's just so smooth. I mean, I've watched those shots a crazy amount of times. And just as you said, Jack, the absolute confidence in being Like, I really do not care who's on this side of the basketball court against me. I'm rising up and popping this jumper right in your face and I'm going to get another Championship, and you can't do anything about it. That's it. While I, I certainly do miss it in a Golden State uniform, of course, I'm very happy for what KD brought to our franchise and what he was able to deliver to us. And I'm very much looking forward to him doing that in another uniform. So that's why I've got him at number one just this offensive uh, execution, I think, down the stretch. Someone who I want to get a bucket. I mean, he, he is probably one of the the players in history, at least in my experience, of someone who I can throw the ball to and expect to get a bucket for me in a variety of different ways versus LeBron. If LeBron falls in love with his three ball, you know, if, he's, if he looks at the ball and, you know, gets to his spot, you know, he can go off for three a little bit and we saw at the start of the season he can do that, but... Yeah, I just for, for the different ways that KD can get you a bucket, that's why I've got him at number one. And then that sort of divisive position that um, Jack talked about going with Harden or Irving, I'd, I'd still think that, you know, uh, Irving's uh, resume as a postseason performer, uh, particularly when while he was on the Cavs, is something why I would probably give him the look over Harden. While I, Harden didn't play bad against Golden State um, in those uh, Western Conference uh, epic series that they've had uh, over the years um you know it didn't help when his teammates just decided to stop learning how to shoot um, but yeah that, that's just why i'm i'm giving irving uh just the just the the chocolates in this one this, i think he's he that guy He's shown that guy with the the most heartbreaking moment i've ever seen on a basketball court um that i'm still getting uh, counseling support for uh, so many years later um yeah that's why i'm going to just get him in there overhearted so yeah
0: I guess just shifting away uh, from the uh, from the stars for a moment, um, I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Which uh, which former piston out of Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond did they have a bigger, bigger impact? But on
2: there's you? a lot. There, there are so many connections with both of these teams, and and just around the league, it, it almost makes me laugh, Lou, in, in in a lot of ways. But in all honesty, to, to give my due, Blake Griffin some love. Uh, I've got. Two Blake Griffin jerseys that were bought for me by my ex girlfriend's dad as a joke because he wasn't a big Blake Griffin fan, but I've and I've always been a big Blake Griffin fan, and I'm an even bigger Blake Griffin fan uh, of what he's doing in Brooklyn now. The way that the Brooklyn Nets are using him uh, is is just we saw the the dunk today, and I'm sure. Pistons fans, Clippers fans were, were having flashbacks of of what he did for, for their team because that was just goddamn ferocious. I honestly do think it's Blake because what the Nets will need out of Blake is much lesser. He's going to be going up against the second units of the Los Angeles Lakers. He's going to be playing with a James Harden in that second unit, with a Nicholas Claxton who he has great chemistry with, and a Landry Shaman and or a Joe Harris. Uh, and it just allows the space to be there for him to play down low in the post and, and, and bully dudes and, and show his prowess and show off his, his passing capability. Andre Drummond, I think, can exploit the Nets in a way in terms of his rebounding prowess, but I don't think he has the variety uh, in his skill, his general skill set to hurt the Brooklyn Nets in a way that I think Blake does, even in the capacity that he is now. I don't know, Nick. Do you, do you agree? Disagree?
0: Yeah,
1: I think that we're, I think we're a lot more likely to see Blake Griffin close a game with Brooklyn than we are to see Drummond close a game with the Lakers. I mean. It doesn't matter who they start at the five, um, whether it's, you know, Gasol, Trez, or I'm not sure why they do that, but, um, or Drummond, things are going to finish with AD at the five. That's just what happens. Um, Blake, I could see like playing some spot minutes at the five, maybe, um, or or at the four, really sort of going down the stretch for Brooklyn um, against the Lakers just to give them another bigger body, um, sort of down low. And that's probably where I'd be sort of leaning towards. I mean, Drummond's not had the best start to his Lakers career. You know, that that debut game was a, a roller coaster of all proportions. You know, sort of flubbed an alley-oop on his first possession. Uh, you know, hit, hit a couple of okay shots, got a couple of rebounds, and then hurt his toe and tried to get back on. Couldn't do it. It was just, yeah, it was pretty wild. So, it's going to be interesting to, to continue to see how Drummond is used down the stretch, particularly considering Marcus Oll had a really good game Uh Um, of late. So their center big man conundrum, I think is a lot more unclear than what, the Nets are doing. In saying that, I'll be really interested to see in the postseason how the minutes are distributed between Aldridge, Griffin, and Claxton yep. and Green as well. Um to see who closes. Because as Jack's mentioned, that Claxton's defensive prowess is fantastic. But whether they trust him going down the stretch, you know, whether you know they're in a Lakers series against Anthony Davis or if Denver gets through and Nikola Jokic is waiting there for them, or if it's a conference finals against MV. I think that's going to be really interesting to see who's going to play at that five. But I think that, yeah, we could expect to see a little bit more Griffin, I think.
0: Yeah, I think this is a, it's certainly interesting. It's only kind of just hit me now that if, uh, if the Lakers and the Nets do meet, I don't know if there's a center that's playable for, you know, long periods of, uh, of time for the Lakers other than Anthony Davis. I mean, like as much as Gasol brings a lot to the table, I just, he's just going to get roasted uh, in ball screens. Um, he cannot switch at this point of his career. That's not happening. And if they play drop on guys like, you know, Kyrie, KD and Harden, it's just going to get burnt. Uh, Montrez Harrow, we saw what can happen for him uh, as things uh, get to the pointy end of the season. And, I mean, Andre Drummond, I would give even less of a chance of being effective on the defensive end. Uh, it really, it yeah. kind of just struck me that. I mean, they could go some Markeith Morris at the five, but that comes back to the same conversation we had about the Clippers, about does that play into the Nets' hands but yeah, it's just it really hurts them that they don't really have a, a defensive center, uh, that isn't Anthony Davis that you trust against, you know primary ball handlers like Dick, I wanted to ask
2: fans. you uh, about Kevin Duran. you sort of uh, alluded to you've got a, a a wonderful history of, of him and I want to just hear you I guess wax poetic about what you've seen him uh, of him as a Brooklyn net and and what you've sort of thought and, and Lou obviously you can give your thoughts as well about you know the KD and, and the rest of this franchise as well but just from an opposing fan perspective a guy who's had a, a lot of fond memories uh, with the Slim Reaper, with the Easy Money Sniper. Uh, what are your thoughts, I guess, on on Kevin Durant and what's your affinity with him uh, at this point in time?
1: I think um, early stages, it was a little bit sort of a, a, a very tough balance between very excited to see someone return from a, a serious injury, particularly, some, particularly when that injury occurred in pursuit of a championship um for the for the dubs uh and seeing him go down was that moment was a generally kind of a, a crushing one that whole series was really tough seeing him and clay go down um and how things ended in that uh in that finals push so yeah see, seeing him back out there is amazing it is it, it is a bit weird seeing him in another jersey after I, it took me honestly a a bit of a while to get used to durant in a golden state jersey i was not one person who was like oh you know incredibly on board with the move. I was sort of in a little bit like, oh, how's this going to work and and whatnot. And then it ended up working to perfection. So um, yeah, I I think I've just been really happy and pleased to see him back on the court, at least in the early stage of the season, still being that guy. Um, You know, there were so many question marks um, around how KD could and would come back from such an an injury um, that we've seen be debilitating to so many NBA players um, over history. So um, to see him still, you know, being able to rise up and hit that jumper wherever he wants um, to, to close games and really it really put the heat on the Warriors in that first game that we played against them and Real is just like, damn, this is what it feels like to be on the other end of this. This sucks. <laughs> um, but no, I, I'm, I'm very excited to see him back. And I, I, it, it's been a, a, this is me as a, as a neutral like KD fan, but I can't imagine what it's like for a Brooklyn fan like yourself, Jack, to see that early part of the season um, you know, of, of like what he could be and what this Nets team could be to then obviously missing a large chunk of time uh, with injury, but to, to now see him back as well. I think uh, you know, we, uh, Jack, you, you, tweeted about this the, the other day about how you went down a list of how many high quality top tier NBA talent is now currently sitting on the sidelines. Yeah. And, um, we just we just want to see him play. I mean, as basketball fans, like before, our allegiances, you know, ties to our our respective ball clubs, that we just want to see the best talent out on the floor. So, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing Durant lead this team, uh, a healthy team, a healthy Brooklyn team into the playoffs. And as we've waxed lyrical on before, this is the series that everybody wants. You know, it's the game that everyone was excited for. I think back in February, and obviously Durant was injured for that one, which sucked. Um, and yeah, we just, we just want to see these two teams face off in a seven-game series and sit back with a bucket of popcorn and
0: let them go at it.
2: Big time. Uh,
0: I think uh, I think there's probably only one uh, one serious question left to ask, and then I've uh, I've got some Nicholas Claxton to, uh, questions for you, Jack. But. We've, uh, we've established that Blake Griffin's probably beating out Andre Drummond for the, uh, the Larry <laughs> buyout trophy, but who will win the Larry O'Brien if these two, uh, if these two meet in the NBA Finals? And I'm going to get you to start, Nick, because I think I know where Jack's answer is, uh, is taking us.
1: I-, I, think it's, I think it's going six or seven. It has to. Any other margin, I think, would be disrespectful to both these teams and NBA fans who have been waiting for this series. I I think the Nets get it done in seven. Um, I think that's, it's going to come down to, there's going to be different games where, you know, it's kind of the the nature of scary hours that you're going to have some guys who are going to go off at 30, um, whether it's, you know, or 40, um, whether it's Irving Durant um, or, um, or James Harden. But I think, I think that, that this comes down to, I think a point that, you know, has been made about the Nets all season that you can, lock one of them up, maybe for a game. You might be able to lock two of them up and and get, you know, someone only contributing 20 points rather than 35 or 40. I just, I'm, I'm, I think the big concern for the Lakers is although they're systematically a very, very good defensive team, I'd be a bit worried about them just just handling that triumvirate of players and also throwing in Joe Harris coming off screens and and also, you know, he's more than a shooter. Jack will tell you um, until he's blue in the face, but he is more than a shooter in making teams pay off, you know, helping off him. Uh, Same with Bruce Brown and be able to, you know, very good slasher and cutter um, with with the basketball, sorry, uh, off the basketball and getting to the rim himself. So I think that the Lakers are probably lacking one perimeter defender I think that could be really beneficial to them um, going down the stretch so I think the Nets are just going to take it just yeah it's going to be a
2: war of attrition and I'm naturally the the pessimist of the Brooklyn Bars the outlet JBT or whatever but I, I've got to stick with my dudes the black and white scary hours I, I think that they just have so many weapons weapons and so many options that I don't think we expected them to have. It was just like, oh, what are they going to do with the center position now that Jared Allen's gone? What's happened to their depth? And a lot of those questions, while not fully answered, that they do have a semblance of depth. They do have a semblance of a rotation at that five position. And obviously, it does, it does need to be said that against Anthony Davis, one of the... The the purely unguardable fives, it's a different question, but we've discussed that at length already. So I I think it's going to be a war of attrition. I think it's going to be a slog. I think, you know, the lake is going to be a clash of styles in in a lot of respects, but ultimately... Half-court offense matters the most when it comes to the postseason. And the Brooklyn Nets are one of the best post, uh, best half-court offenses that I have ever watched and ever seen. And I'm, I don't think I'm being subjectively biased when I say that. And I think that when it just comes to the point in time where it's just like the defenses are locked in quarter after quarter, possession after possession, who's going to get you a bucket? But I think the Brooklyn Nets have a, a, a couple of pretty good candidates that can do that for you.
0: Yeah, I, I, I look I, at the end of the day. I, I probably tend to uh, tend to lean with you guys. Um, I, I kind of like Jack. I get this weird feeling that it might actually be the Clippers that meet him there um, instead of the Lakers. But for storyline purposes, you couldn't go much further than this series. Um, and look, if Anthony Davis was one hundred and ten percent of Anthony Davis, I might have to lean the other way. But the might something just tells oh, yeah. me I don't think he's he's going to be right when he comes back. Um, it's just the part of the body he's injuries in. It's that kind of floating around that Achilles area. Uh, you know, we've seen he's injury prone before. I think the Lakers got a little lucky with his health last year, um, all things considered. and I, Something just tells me he's not going to be right for a while um, and they would need every single bit of AD uh, to take it to the Nets. And I'm just not sure we're going to get that. And um, by that logic, I think it's... Yeah, it's I think a lot of it is luck as well. And percent. I
2: think that luck has been on the Brooklyn Nets side um, in certain respects, but it's also been incredibly unlucky with you know COVID protocols and injuries and such. But you sometimes create your own luck. And the the energy that has been in Brooklyn this season has been infectious and joyous in, in a way that I haven't seen. And um, I'm certainly enjoying the the journey, as I've said, uh, quite quite a few times on any podcast that allows me to speak about it. So I think that luck is a big part of championships as you alluded to, Lou. And if the Brooklyn Nets are lucky enough that their, their their scary hours, big three healthy, then um, it's going to be pretty hard to stop them.
1: I just think, uh, you know, regardless of the outcome of the series, it, particularly if it is a Brooklyn-Lakers series, I just really hope both teams are healthy and we get the best contest that we can um, between these two rosters because I do think regardless of whichever way it swings, it's going to be some pretty fucking good basketball. here. Yeah.
0: Now, uh, we've, uh, we've had our serious conversation, Jack, but you can't come on the Pacific Post-Up without <laughs> do having to answer at least one ludicrous uh, question. Um, if we get Lakers-Nets, um, there is one, uh, one trophy that will be hotly contested and that's Best Pretty Boy of the Series. So tell our listeners You look at who is the the better-looking
2: blonde, and it's Nicholas Claxton without a question, Lou. Just his eyes. He's just so goddamn pretty. His smile. Look, Coos has got the LA swag. He's got this sort of strut about him. He's dating the Instagram girlfriend or whatever. But the usefulness, the exuberance of, of Nicholas Claxton, the cornrows, the dreads, whatever you want to call it, however that hair is popping, him bouncing around, him just loving... Life. He's got this little bit of, you know, juice about him. He he walks with a bit of a strut when he's out there on the floor with some of the superstars. Uh, there are a few teams in the league that can rank high in the sexiness department of the Brooklyn Nets. And you know, I've got a Joe Harris OnlyFans account going that's doing gangbusters right now. I've been contemplating a Nicholas Claxon one, but after today, I think we've got a diversity of content, uh, especially with their hairstyles because the cornrows are looking nice. We miss Cornrow Harris in Brooklyn, but we know we got Cornrow Clax.
1: I think I think Jack's right uh, to paraphrase uh, Pepper, uh, Jason Bateman's character from the seminal classic comedy Dodgeball. Uh, it's got to be the hair. It's beautiful, <laughs> feathered and lethal, and you don't you just don't see that nowadays. So, um, the I mean, the hair game is Claxton's, and and so is the style game. So there we go.
0: Yeah, and uh, I guess one more and I, I do totally agree you sold me there, uh Jack. I, I might also sign up to a uh, Joe Harris on account now, you'll talk me into it. I've been contemplating that one for a while, but um what, what would Nick Claxton have to do in the, uh, in the postseason to surpass Pat Ewing as the oh, greatest player? Look, play I think he might already have player him
2: player. covered, to be <laughs> honest, Lou. Uh, I don't think he really has to do anything else. I think he's just going to keep going, keep doing his thing. In, 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 to try and remain a, a, a semblance of objectivity about this, I've said this about Clax before, and I actually said it on today's Brooklyn Buzz as well. While defensively, his looks absolutely incredible. And Nick and I have sort of said that other than Anthony Davis, there are a few switchable big men. It's basically him, Bam Adebayo, and Anthony Davis that have the propensity to switch onto any player out on the perimeter. But it's his offense that, to me, I think does still need a little bit of work. And James Harden makes him look incredible because he's such a, a, a fantastic lob threat. He's really improved as a screener, but other and he's also a, a pretty good passer as well. And I feel confident when the ball is in his hands. It's his free throws. And when it comes to the closing moments of a game, and when the Nets have four incredible offensive players, and you've got Nicholas Claxton as your other fifth guy, you know you can resort to hack Claxton and I think that you can actually probably, uh, and you get some success out of it if you're the opposing team. So, to try and provide a semblance of objectivity about my dude Nicholas Claxton, there are areas for him to improve, but I think he will get there because, I mean, if you just look at the hair, uh, it, 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 if his hairs is going to be as good as his offensive game, then um, he's got Patrick Ewing covered. I've got a. Um...
1: First point: uh, the fact that Kavon Looney doesn't get a mention as one of the most switchable defenders on the perimeter is is heresy. (laughs) Uh, And two, um, I do have a question for Lou. We we have talked at uh, quite a bit about someone who's not, you know, part of I guess like the the big star attractions of either uh, either teams in Nick Claxton. Lou, who is the most likely non-star? To surprise people in the NBA Finals for the Lakers in a series against Brooklyn.
0: Well, see, my initial response oh, was on, Alex bro. Caruso, but he said
1: non-star. I uh, didn't know you moonlit as a uh, bloody bleacher uh, report I'm gonna, admin. I'm gonna that's
0: fine. Like... Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm all about attracting listeners to this podcast, Nick, and they are the, they are the biggest market in our podcast. So. Um, Nah, all all jokes aside uh, I think for me it might just like last year's playoffs uh, the Lakers fortunes could live and die with some of their role players and uh, keep mm. an eye on KCP he's a big barometer for where the Lakers are at um, when he plays well uh, it gives uh it gives Vogel a guy he can trust down the stretch to shoot the three and defend well when he plays poorly it really throws out their spacing and their rotation so I, I think it hinges a little bit on uh, on KCP Um and uh, that's that's the guy mm. I'd keep an eye on as a barometer. For uh, the the other guy performing. i would probably
1: throw it outside outside of KCP. Who I do agree is a immense barometer, um, particularly with the 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 wide array of big men that the, uh, the Nets can throw at the Lakers. I know a lot of people are you know signing the end of his NBA career and piggy- in shipping him off to Barcelona, um, but Mark Soul still got some stuff in the tank. I know he's not the most you know athletic player in the world never was and particularly isn't now with his lateral quickness and whatnot. But I still think that his nuance uh, veteran experience is still something that he's going to factor into a Lakers playoff run. Um, as I said, he, he had a pretty uh, pretty good bounce back game after, you know, sort of not being it, a lot of questions being around uh, his position in the, in the Lakers rotation with Drummond coming in there. Trez playing well in AD and LeBron's absence um, but you know, if, Trez is borderline. Like, if we're talking about guys that you know, like Brooklyn are going to expose, they they would ruin Montrezl Harrell. Um, and you know, playing a guy particularly like Lamarcus Aldridge coming off the bench, if that happens, or Blake Griffin is someone who's going to give Trez a lot of fits um, on the defensive end of the of the ball. Gasol's still going to play a pretty big role into the, into whatever the Lakers do uh, going forward. He might not have. 25 minutes a night. He might not play a lot, but whatever minutes that he is going to put on the court, I think is still going to be very valuable.
0: Yeah, no, I I do agree. Um, I think he'll be very important as well. In if they get that Denver matchup, if they get, you know, uh, something is to happen to the Brooklyn Nets and they get Joel Embiid um, or, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo in the uh, NBA Finals, then I think, you know, his ability to defend the post becomes imperative as well. Um, I think that's uh, all, we've, uh, all we've got time for today. Thanks for coming on, Jack. Do you have any uh, parting words for our, our listeners? It's a net's uh, world. Everyone jump on board. Again, as we approach the NBA final. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, thanks for joining us, Jack. Thanks for coming on again, Nick. Uh, we'll be in touch again next week. And uh, we hope you enjoy.
2: That was a lot uh, of fun, lads. Know, uh, thanks for having me on. Out.
0: Thanks for that, Jack.